children are dismissed back to their classes if you still have them. Good morning. Are we on? I want to welcome you guys. If, if you're a guest, uh, we welcome you to, to celebrate and to worship with us. Uh, I know that uh, I don't want to set the bar low and say it's an accomplishment just to get to church, but some days it's an accomplishment just, just to make it, to gather with God's people. So I don't know if it felt like that for you this morning, but... Uh, it felt like that for me. Um, sometimes it's a challenge, and, and you push through, you're here. And so uh, let's. God brought us to this point. Uh, I, I appreciate the worship team and the effort that they put in. Um, I mean, they've put in effort, or, or uh, they have skill, and they've added to it with hard work. And I appreciate that, but I, I can tell, I know that they prepare, that they pray, and they seek the Lord, and they pick out songs, and, and they come early, um, and I appreciate that. Uh, we need to be pointed to Jesus. We need to be reminded who he is. Uh, we need to be reminded that he's good, and singing is a way of testifying. It's a way of overcoming. In, in Revelation, it says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and Singing of his goodness is testifying. That's part of our testimony. And maybe it's a songwriter's testimony, but we're, we're hanging on to that. Maybe it's the psalmist's uh, words from scriptures, their testimony. We're hanging on to that, and we're making it our own, and we're declaring and proclaiming it. And, and it's not just singing. It's not just singing. There's something powerful that happens. And so, um, that's to say, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys and to worship. And I'm, I'm coming here, um, and I want you to know, I want to declare this, that I'm not standing up here um, and preaching, standing on my own uh, accomplishments or my own credentials. I'm not up here because I'm a handsome specimen or a fancy dresser or like a, a symbol of success um, by any means, or, you know, I don't stand up here... Uh, on the credentials of my intellect or mental accomplishments. I'm up here because of the work that Jesus has done in me. And if he doesn't continue to do a work in the next 25 or 30 minutes, then um, it's going to not go well. Uh, and so I'm standing here preaching to myself. I'm, a, I'm someone who needs what we're going to talk about today. I need the Prince of Peace to reign in my life. We've been looking at... Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I'll read it again. It's a good one to memorize. Uh, I'm about there. I think I probably could, could, could quote it word for word. Um, and it's a very familiar Christmas prophecy. And as I've been looking it up and studying it and researching, um, it's been interesting to see different perspectives. This is a, a verse from the Old Testament that Christians claim as a, a prophecy for the Messiah and a, and a prophecy about Jesus. And I don't see any other way around it, any other interpretation than that. But you can find um, 
Jewish commentary that, that try to point out how Christians misinterpret this. I just, I'm not convinced, and I don't see any other way that this points to the Christ, to Jesus, whose birth we're about to celebrate. And it's beautiful, and I take heart that God declared this beforehand, that he established this, and he meant all of this to happen and to occur. It was part of his plan, and this is who Jesus is. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we're looking at what child is this? It's the title of a Christmas song. And we were looking at these, we've had four weeks looking at these four names specifically that are given about the Messiah. First one was Wonderful Counselor. All right? And I'm willing to bet that uh, every one of us have struggles. We have things that we're facing. We have things that um, keep us up maybe at night or that we consider uh, early in the morning or that creep in when we're unguarded and that trouble our minds. We have issues that we're facing. We have things that we want to accomplish, things that we want to overcome. Uh, we have anxieties that would overwhelm us if not kept in check. And these names of Christ, these are who he is. When we sing that you're good, you're good, part of that, these are aspects of his goodness. And when I said when I preached the, on Wonderful Counselor, um, he has a name for our need. He has a name for our need. So I want you to take heart today. If you have a need, he has a name. That's an aspect of who he is, is to to deliver you in that situation, to overcome. He's a wonderful counselor. And we talked about that. We need counsel. We need advice. Many of us are facing things that don't have a clear-cut solution that seems obvious. And we need a wonderful counselor to guide us through. But I warned you that his counsel is contradictory often, is counter uh, to the counsel that the world would give. We looked at the story of Gideon. Isaiah referenced it as in the day of the defeat of Midian, he's referencing the story of Gideon, how the wisdom, the counsel that God gave Gideon was to reduce his army. And I think I misspoke on the numbers. Um, but he, he reduced his army down by tens of thousands, down to 300. And he had them surround the Midian camp. And we talked about how they had a torch and they had a jar of clay and they had a trumpet. And those three things were... Uh, what Christ has given the church. Those are his strategies for uh, overcoming evil in the world. The torch is the light, shining our light, letting our good deeds shine. Um, the trumpet is heralding the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Christ. And the jar of clay, he said we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's living our lives broken before the world in, uh, in service and, and submission and humility as we do those things. Um, mighty God, some of us face, are facing a problem that's so big that the only solution is a mighty God, and that's who Christ is. Some of us are hurting with pain, um, uh, maybe from our childhood, pain from uh, a, a broken heart, uh, pain from trauma, and he's an everlasting father, everlasting, never-ending. He's a father 
He's a good father. And he purchased us and ransomed us to be in his family. And the cumulative effect of those three aspects, when we understand it and we receive it, is peace. He's the prince of peace. He said he has a name for our need. And the cumulative effect of him being our wonderful counselor, being mighty God, being everlasting father, is a reign and a rule of peace. We know the Jewish word is shalom. You know, the journey to Bethlehem, you'd go do that and you'd, um, you know, you'd freeze and you'd walk through the line and you'd get some good soup. And you'd, people would say to you often, shalom, shalom, peace. And I think um, if we could spend a little bit of time on this word, it would give us a deeper understanding. That word is not merely an absence of conflict. It's not an absence of conflict. You can live in a vacuum. You can live isolated from everyone else, from every other circumstance. You could be put into a prison cell where you're in isolation and you don't have any conflict with anybody and all your needs are met. You know that every meal is going to arrive at a certain time. You can have an absence of conflict, an absence of need, and yet it's not likely that you'll have peace in those circumstances. It's not an absence of conflict. It's not an absence of hardship. It's not an absence from the weight of responsibility. This peace that Christ is the prince of is not a stoic indifference where you're just so cold and hard that nothing moves you or phases you. That's not who Christ was. We saw him laughing, we saw him celebrating, we saw him rejoicing, we saw him weeping. But he's the Prince of Peace. This shalom, it means well-being and wholeness. Everything in its right place, functioning well, in, in good order that God spoke into existence. This peace isn't a fanciful, childish ignorance that just pretends that all our problems aren't there. We saw in the Gospels this peace is often a peace in the storm. I have the picture in my mind of Jesus passing through crowds that are trying to throw him off a cliff. He just walked through them. Chaos surrounding him, moving through the Prince of Peace. I have a picture of Jesus asleep in the boat, being tossed by the waves while his disciples are losing their mind, freaking out. He has to be woken up, and all he has to do is speak the storms that, that uh, brought fear into the, these hardened fishermen. Jesus walked on the waves, and he spoke peace to these storms. He's the Prince of Peace. When I think of this peace, I think of Jesus marching, carrying his cross to the hill of Calvary. Not an absence of hardship. But he worked it out with his father and he was resolved to obey. And he had the strength to forgive his enemies, his accusers, his torturers, his killers. He's the prince of peace. But he said, 
in John 14, near the end of his life, peace I leave you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He gives us peace. And I guess if we kind of gave ourselves, you know, I always talk about a dashboard. You got your instruments, your, your metrics, your measurements there in front of you. And you can see how you're doing. And I could run through the list of uh, relationships and areas of your life and ask you if you have peace. Do you have peace in your household? How are you doing? Do you have peace in your marriage? Or do you have peace in your relationship or peace in your singleness? How are you doing? Do you have peace in your family? How's, how are things going with your children or your parents, your relationships? Do you have peace in your job or lack thereof? In your career or your dead-end job, do you have peace? Do you have peace with your neighbors or the people around you? Do you have peace with your enemies, whether it's uh, enemies of relationships or enemies of politics or enemies of religion? How are you doing in the area of peace? A lot of times I feel like a failure in, in a lot of those areas. You know, I live in a tense situation right now. I've got all my kids and uh, we've, we're staying at my parents while we're trying to build a house. It's a little bit tense. It's not really uh, a recipe, you would say, for peace. You know, this morning we had, well, there were 10 people in two bathrooms, but I mean, eight people kind of in one trying to get ready, okay? Um, and we're followers of the Prince of Peace, but you might not have known it, unfortunately. Now, that's comical, you know, that's a temporary situation, but I know that some of you are in situations that you don't see an easy out. There's kind of a deadline. If we get, get things going and get things done, you know, uh, there's kind of a clear path for us to at least resolve that part of conflict in our lives. We need the Prince of Peace. I need the Prince of Peace. Does anybody agree with me? Now, the thing that stuck out to me, of course, in this title is the first word is Prince. He's the Sovereign. He's the Lord. And that relationship precedes the peace. He has to be our prince. He has to be our Lord before we can know his peace. Now, he may visit grace upon us. He may give us grace. We may cry out to him, not having made him our Lord, and he in his goodness will visit us. He will give us grace. He'll give us peace. But if he's not our Lord, we don't have access to the prince of peace. We don't know what Scripture calls the peace that passes understanding. And maybe we've made him our Lord, but we forget, don't we? We forget that we've surrendered our rights. I think a lot of times the conflict and the peace, lack of peace in our life is because we are claiming rights that we forgot that we surrendered 
to Jesus Christ. When we lay down our lives, we sing that song, we lay down our crowns. How'd it go, Katie? Every burden, every burden, every crown. We surrender. We lay those down. And a lot of times the absence of peace in our life is because we forgot that we made him Lord. And we forgot that we traded something that is temporal, temporary, for something that's greater. What we get when we surrender our lives to Jesus is eternal. It's a treasure in heaven. It will never spoil or fade. It's far superior than what we lay down. A right to a hot shower. A right to uh, not being bothered. A right to go about our routine in the way that we uh, see fit. If we've given our life to Christ, we've surrendered these things. Our right not to be bothered by other people's problems. Our right not to serve the needs of other people who haven't taken care of themselves. That's our perspective on it. We've surrendered and we've made Jesus our Prince, our Lord. Romans reminds us if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. He's our Lord. He's our Prince. Then He's our Prince of Peace. I would posit to you, I'd put out there to you, that a lot of our conflict in our lives comes because we have picked up things that we ought to have surrendered. You know, this, this, uh, this theme of peace is not something uh, secondary or trivial in Scripture. I, I pulled out some verses and I could find a lot more to you. Um, Jesus brings us peace. First of all, he brings us peace through his death, peace with the Father. We know from Scripture that we're enemies and alienated from God. We're separated from God. Romans 5 tells us there, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, it's talking about uh, peace with other groups of people. This is talking about peace with Jews and Gentiles, but it's, it's peace with other people. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He brings peace between people. And he brings peace in our circumstances. Philippians 4, 5-7 through 7 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The Lord is at hand. We enter into his presence, we recognize, we submit to his lordship, and in his presence is the peace we desperately desire. We go to him, the prince of peace, and in his presence is our peace. Our peace with God, he brings peace with others, and he brings peace to our troubled minds and souls when we surrender to him. I already quoted John 14, 27. Jesus said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I heard this. I grew up uh, going to Catholic school. I go to Mass on Wednesdays and usually on Sundays. 
And this is something, this was a verse that was quoted. I didn't know. It wasn't attributed to John 14, 27. But I had this memorized from a young age. My peace I give you. That's a promise. That is a promise for you, for a follower of Jesus. And all we have to do is not attain it, but receive it. We don't have to work up to some level where we, uh, we do some mental tricks and some, we get our routine dialed in and we have these uh, mental gymnastics and we take the right regimen of diet and pills and exercise and affirmations. His peace he gives to us. When we enter his presence, he is the prince of peace. He also said in John 16, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So really today, in all this series, I think, I hope that we've been able, you know your problem. You know, we know when we have a problem, we're aware of our problems, okay? But I'm trying to, to illuminate it, not to highlight it, not to emphasize it, but to recognize that there's struggles. We have problems. And I want to point you to Jesus. He's your wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's the way to the everlasting Father. And he's the Prince of Peace. I came across this. I love to read missionary stories. Some of you guys know that about me. I, I've uh, consumed um, a large, large quantities of uh, missionary biographies and testimonies. So if you need, uh, I'm, and I'm often, I've given away a lot of them so that when I go to look for them, I can't find them. Um, so then I've also per probably purchased multiple copies from multiple uh, missionaries. Uh, it's one of the great things I've loved, too, about homeschooling is that, you know, we get to pass that on and, and make that part of our curriculum. Um, and this is from uh, the writings of Hudson Taylor. Does anybody know who Hudson Taylor was? Homeschoolers, no. Uh, he was a missionary uh, from the 19th century to China. And um, this was a, a writing he wrote, and I, I thought it, it was fitting it was fitting, uh, and I'll, I'll point this out. So here's what he said. He said, uh, I strove for faith, but it would not come. I tried to exercise it, but in vain. Seeing more and more the wondrous supply of grace laid up in Jesus, the fullness of our precious Savior, my guilt and helplessness seemed to increase. Sins committed appeared but as trifles compared with the sin of unbelief which was their cause, which could not or would not take God at his word, but rather my unbelief made him a liar. Unbelief was, I felt, the damning sin of the world, yet I indulged in it. I prayed for faith, but it came not. What was I to do? So this is a man struggling. He, he wants faith. He's trying to work up faith. He's trying to, I don't know if it's faith for miracles or faith for um, breakthrough in ministry or faith for uh, his personal well-being, the, 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 the calming of his soul. He was trying to work up faith. And I think we try to work up 
peace. We try to resolve our problems, resolve our conflicts, resolve our issues, resolve our struggles, and then hope that we eliminate them and we find the peace that we're looking for. Here's what he wrote. He said, when my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from McCarthy, it's a, a missionary colleague, missionary friend, a sentence from a letter from McCarthy was used to remove the scales from my eyes. And the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus as I had never known it before. McCarthy, who had been much exercised in the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote. So his friend had similar struggles, is what he's saying. You know, people talk a little bit fancier. I don't know if we don't. Maybe in 200 years they'll think we talk fancy, but anyway, his friend was exercised by the same sense of failure. He, he was going through the same struggles, but he saw the light before I did, before uh, Hudson Taylor did. He, this friend wrote to him, but how to get faith strengthened? And I would say how to get peace increased? Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Resting on the faithful one. Hudson says, as I read it, I saw it all. If we believe not, he abideth, he remains faithful. I looked to Jesus and saw, and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed, that he had said, I will never leave thee. Ah, there is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to rest in him. I'll strive no more. The key for Taylor was that he stopped focusing on trying to exercise more faith, and instead he looked to Jesus the faithful one, as revealed in the written word. His focus had been on his lack of faith and trying to work it up. He was miserable. But when his focus turned to the fullness of Jesus, he discovered the peace that surpasses understanding. So I'm not, this isn't a sermon to say, work really hard to be more peaceful. I'm not giving you another anxiety, another thing to be worried about or anxious about. How am I doing in the peace department? I'm not saying, get more peaceful. Be peaceful. I'm not giving you another rule to follow. I'm compelling you to go to the Prince of Peace. In his presence is peace. In his realm, his rule, his reign. He's the Prince of Peace. So enter into his kingdom. Enter into his presence. Scripture gives us a wonderful promise, and I could hear my Grammy uh, mutter it over and over. When I'd, I'd be at worship, I'd go to church with her. I had an interesting upbringing. I'd go to Catholic Mass, and I'd go to the Assembly of God on Sunday nights. And so I'd have a, you know, the high church, whatever you call that, the, where it's all written out, you know, the liturgy. And then I'd have dancing and whooping and, and uh, praying in tongues and singing in tongues and up in the aisles. It was interesting. Okay? I'm a hybrid, I guess you could say. And uh, I could hear her whisper under her breath, compelling. She was just, she was praying it, and she was, it was almost like she was just begging the people around her to understand, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. You can find that in the Bible, and you can bank on it. And so I'm compelling you, draw near to the Prince of Peace. The things that you're struggling with, the areas you need peace, you'll find what you need in his presence. I believe it. I've experienced it. 
You know, when I try to think in my life of personal testimonies, of times that um, I've experienced a deep and abiding peace, oddly enough, it's the most difficult and um, testing times of my life. It's Christmas time, you know, um, probably the most uh, obvious is uh, when we lost my brother on Christmas morning. And there was a deep, abiding peace. There was grief. There were tears. There was struggle. There was pain. There were questions. But I'll never forget the overwhelming sense of peace because I know the Lord was at hand. The Prince of Peace was near to us. He's close to the brokenhearted. So if you're brokenhearted, he's, he's close to you. You're, you're probably better situated than people who are just cruising through life to experience his peace. So we're going to have communion. I don't know what I can add to that. Um, I'll just say, I know you're struggling. There's some of you that are struggling and some of you I know about it. And I, I would venture to guess that there's others of you that I don't know about that you might be struggling. We're going to have communion. We're going to continue with worship. Um, and I'll just say, he's the Prince of Peace. And this was in my mind, and I forgot to write it down, but he can bring peace to your past. He's got peace for your past. Some of you are still struggling with things that have happened to you in the past, that are holding you back, that you haven't um, overcome. He has peace for your present, things that you're facing, things that are on the top of your to-do list, the top of your prayer list, uh, the top of your mind. He has peace for your present, and he has peace for your future. You can put your future in his hands. You can trust him. So there's really, I think that covers it all. Go to him. Can I pray for you guys? And I'll say, if you want prayer, please, there's not a, there's not a uh, protocol to this, but you can come forward. I'll pray for you. Other people will see you. They'll come pray for you. You can come up here, and we want to give you prayer. We want to pray with you if you need peace uh, for things that you're facing in your life. We want to lay hands on you and pray for you. And if you'd rather not, we'll just come around you in a circle and pray for you. Um, but let me pray right now. Father, Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace, and I pray that um, we know that your word has declared it, and we want to taste and see that you are good. We want to experience you as the Prince of Peace. So right now, where we're at, we submit and surrender to you as our Lord. You're our sovereign. You're our King. We declare that you are our Prince. And because you have said you're the Prince of Peace, we believe that as we draw near to you, we'll experience your peace. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that are hurting, that are facing uh, difficulties, that they'll find you in you a wonderful counselor. God, that you'll give them truth. You'll give them instruction. They'll give them specifics, whether from Scripture. You'll lay it on your heart from brothers and sisters around them. You'll give them a path to follow. That they'll experience you as mighty God, the deliverer, one who can overcome. Whatever it is they're facing, you have the power to overcome. That they'll experience you as everlasting Father, the one who sent his Son, who paid the ransom to buy them into his family know you, the Prince of Peace.
you are, what you've done as we celebrate and move into Christmas. We'll just have joy in our hearts, peace in our households, Lord, please help us. 